Hey folks, welcome to Bad GM's Campaign Build Along. I'm the Bad GM, Wayne Davis, and this is the show where we build an entire campaign for you and we do it from scratch. Season 2 has been all about the Fallout role-playing game, but we'll also note that you can lift our content and drop it into the post-apocalyptic game of your choice. However, if you're looking to play Fallout and still need a book, check out your local game or bookstore, or hit up the Modiphius Entertainment website, M-O-D-I-P-H-I-U-S dot net. Before we launch into this week's build, I wanted to take a quick moment to thank everyone who stopped by our table at Archon 46. We had a lot of great conversations with a lot of great people, and we got a lot of great ideas for both of our shows. Also, we all we noted while we were sitting around spending time talking to folks that our website has not been posting the link or giving you the ability to get to the link for episodes of this show. We also found out that it wasn't giving you access to print the character sheets off that we've been posting up there. Gabe is very well aware of those issues and he is working very hard to fix those. So we apologize for any and all the difficulties those might have caused. Again, though, we want to thank everybody for coming out and saying hello. And we'll keep you in the loop when we make another convention appearance. Now, we build. First, let's recap what we built last week. Last week was about building an alternate idea for our group to get across to the Fox Theater without having to pull an all-out assault on it. We backed up a bit to before he was taken and had Victor meet with an associate of his who needs a problem solved. Warren Lee tasked the group with finding out who was behind the renovations taking place in the Fox and dealing with them if possible. And he offered up a couple of suits of power armor as carrots to get them to take the deal. They started by escorting his assistant to the theater where she tried to meet with someone in charge. Now, obviously that didn't happen, but the people on site did provide her with a location where she might find someone. Agreeing that this was probably a setup, the group headed off to check it out. And turns out it was, basically. They ran into loads of super mutants before getting to the address they'd been given. Once they got there, they did find two pieces of information they found somewhat helpful. One sheet had a list of locations on it, including the Fox Theater and Diamond Pass. The other was somewhat cryptic, though they eventually figured out that they needed to go to the Japanese gardens at the Missouri Botanical Gardens. They headed there and found a very dead member of the Brotherhood of Steel. More confused than they had been previously, they found a hollow tape. Playing the tape, the voice on it reported that they'd found a tunnel under the theater leading a couple of blocks away. It also hinted that a paladin gave him those orders, though he didn't give any names. We wrapped the build with me noting that we probably have a continuity error, and I wanted the week to try to figure it out. So, let's pick up there and see if we can work out this continuity issue I wrote us into. And you might have a better solution of your own, so if you do, disregard what I'm about to lay out and go on with your own. I know I said at the beginning of the build last week that you could set the job as far back as you needed to in order to avoid any sort of BOS intervention. After taking the week to think about it, I think we need to set all of this the day before Victor is taken. And if we really want to make sure things work out, we can link this to the vertebrate clue, which runs right into Victor's kidnapping. Regardless of how we do it, the overall idea is for the group to not use the tunnel until Victor gets captured. This gives them the two for the price of one opportunity, since they can both rescue Victor and finish the job for Mr. Lee. So let's speed back forward to the group being at the Fox Theater after Victor's kidnapping and their learning about him being taken there. 
It's possible they figured this one out on their own. So if they do that, we can disregard all the digging they needed to do just to get the information. And they'll be on the path to solving two issues, as I just mentioned. When they head to the location they know about for the entrance exit for the tunnel to the Fox, and they've probably scoped this out prior, there are a half a dozen men in tactical gear, the same blacked out gear we've been seeing multiple times to this point, guarding it. We'll continue to use the Brotherhood of Steel night stats on page 383. And this is another one of those spots where there won't be negotiations. The group can talk to them, and you can have them make the rolls for that, mostly for the potential to pick up the action points. But we're using GM Fiat to have them not budge on their position. They've been tasked with guarding this entrance, and by God, they are not going to allow the group to pass. Am I the only one who just heard Gandalf yell, You shall not pass! No? Okay then. This combat should be short, sweet, and to the point. When it's done, the group has access to the tunnel, and for a change, we don't have a bunch of turrets in here for the group to get through. And yes, I'm totally aware the group's going to be discussing among themselves how easy this is, and they might even make that note to you. Just smile at them. You and I will both know they need to buckle their chin straps because it's about to get interesting. The tunnel ends and there's a metal ladder leading up a 10 foot by 10 foot metal hatch. It's locked and it's a serious lock. Perception plus lockpick, difficulty 5 to unlock it. And they need to be careful when they open it because it swings down into the tunnel. It's got handle holds on it that allow the group to pull themselves up to hatch to make it into the theater. Getting up there, they're in the dark. Unless, of course, they've got some sort of light source. If they have that, they can see about 30 feet or so in front of them, and it's obvious they're in some sort of pit structure. It's hard to figure out what things look like, but they see some high walls, a couple of doors, and that's about it. Until the floodlights come on and light things up. Their eyes will be drawn to the chair in approximately the center of the room, where Victor is chained across the chest with cuffs on his wrists and ankles. He's also gagged, though the look on his face is not one of panic, but more one of concern for the group. As they take all of that in, they notice the dozen or so red dots showing up on each of their chests, and they hear a familiar voice call out to them. I told you once before that so long as you stayed out of my business, I would leave you be. Since you decided to stick your noses where they don't belong, all bets are off. We'll start with your boss and then finish with you. With that, two of the red dots sweep to Victor's chest and he's blown over onto his back. And then the gunfire erupts. The group is going to have to target the lasers since the spotlights are pretty darn bright. Should a wise guy in the group decide to shoot out a light or two, which is actually pretty darn smart in my book, they can pick up 15 more of those black-geared individuals and they can target them directly. So for shooting at guys while all the lights are still on, the difficulty increases to four. Once up to five lights have gone out, drop it to three. And that's mostly because of elevation as the men shooting are on a balcony above them. If more than five lights get shot out, jump the difficulty back to four. And if they shoot them all out, the difficulty becomes five. But so does the difficulty for the other side. Now, the group's got a couple of options for sure, but somebody is going to have to provide fire regardless. My guess will be that a couple of group members are going to grab Victor and haul it back to the tunnel. And that's up to you how the shooting goes on from there. Since in the minds of those doing the shooting, Victor's probably dead, they might not be targeting him or those grabbing him. Then again, maybe they are. Of course, it's also a possibility that they'll decide to fight everybody, and that could wind up not ending well for them. 
and we don't have anyone showing up to save them this time. Sorry. Now, our group tends to be resilient, so we'll go with them being able to get down into the tunnel and getting away. They won't be chased through it, but they should be assuming that they'll be followed above ground where it exits. That means that when they get out, they need to move fast. Now, obviously, Diamond Pass isn't an option at this point, and getting back to their base is probably also out of the question. However, the Symphony Hall's only a couple of blocks away, and Victor did say Mr. Lee is an associate of his. So if they didn't think of it, see if maybe you can hint them to head that way. Also, if they want to cut the chains or otherwise get Victor out of that chair, they realize he's still breathing. It's rough, but he's breathing. And the reason for that is that, as he tends to do, he's wearing ballistic-lined clothing, which means one round was pretty much stopped, but the second wasn't. So while he's still alive, he's going to need some serious medical attention, and he's going to need it quickly. That means we need to do a little time-based math. How far can a group of men from the Fox Theater get in the time it takes the group to get down the tunnel, cut the corner of the block, and head for the Symphony Hall? And I'm going to be honest here, I don't want a math. So we'll just say that as the group makes their way out to the street that both the Hall and the Fox are on, they've got about 10 men shooting at them from long range. Let's use the same stats we've been using, but note that the range is long and make the adjustments as necessary. Once they get within 100 yards, a couple of super mutants emerge from the hall. They recognize one of them from their previous meeting with Mr. Lee. Both muties are wielding miniguns, and they motion the group to run past them as they step up and open fire on those chasing them. Needless to say, they make their point crystal clear, and the pursuing troops turn tail and return to the fox. Lucinda is waiting for them just inside the doors, and she calls out to a couple of Mr. Handy Robots to take Victor to Mr. Lee's personal med bay and begin treating him. She requests that the group follow her because Mr. Lee would appreciate an update. As they make their way down to Mr. Lee's office, they realize the club is, for all intents and purposes, shut down for the night, and they notice a small army of humans, robots, and super mutants preparing for battle. Armor is being strapped on, weapons are being checked and loaded, and everyone seems to be putting on their game face. Lee also appears to be ready for combat of some type when they enter, though his armor is, to be honest, ancient. He's got the chest piece from what appears to be an old set of samurai armor strapped on, and has a sword sheathed at his side. He's not going that ancient, though. He's got a laser rifle sitting on his desk, and it's obvious it's loaded and ready to go. He's leaning against his desk as the group enters, and he gets right to the point. I'll gather by the noise outside that you got inside. Who is trying to take things over? This is where the group's going to have to give a bit of a history lesson, and this is where you're probably going to have to go back in your notes and remind them about the bunker encounter in Ledoux. Since the female voice is the exact same one, that's the only idea they've got about who's in charge. Lee takes a moment to take everything in, then he lays it out for them. I had heard that Jessica Denman was looking to consolidate operations in the city, but I never anticipated she would be the one looking to take me out. And after your attack on the Garson headquarters, we all assumed they were done. If she's got men in Garson gear protecting her and she's looking to make a major move, we've all got our work cut out for us. As he processes everything, he does address the concern on their faces, even if they don't ask. Victor's going to be fine. I've got the best med robots in the area, and they'll do everything in their power to make sure of that. And I've got enough firepower here to hold off an army, if need be. And something seems to have occurred to him. 
The only question I have is what those four Brotherhood of Steel soldiers have to do with this. They're the ones who delivered Victor to Denman, so they're obviously doing something for her, but we need to figure out what that is. He pauses. But that's not my primary concern at the moment. We have to deal with the men at the Fox so that we can get them off the street and away from us. Once we've done that, we can concentrate on figuring out that other problem of ours. About this point, a symphony of miniguns firing can be heard, and Lee smiles at the group. And if you thought I was going to ask you to help, that was never in the plan. You did exactly what I asked you to do, and I couldn't ask you for anything else in good conscience. He nods to Lucinda, who's been quietly listening in on the conversation. If you'd take our friends back to the storage room, they can take possession of their power armor. After that, set them upstairs with cots so they can get some rest. We've got a long couple of days ahead of us, and I'd bet the business they're not leaving until Victor's back on his feet. Lucinda motions for the group to follow her, and she leads them onto the floor, where it's observed there are fewer troops than previously. The group gets a number of nods of acknowledgement, and several of the men comment about a good job. At the rear of the room, Lucinda steps up onto the stage and works her way all the way to the back, moving a curtain aside to pull a door open. Stepping through, she takes the group to the left, where there's a set of double doors. Opening one, the group steps into a storage room that is better described as an armory, though the group notes that it appears the majority of the weapons, ammo, and armor that would usually be stored here is gone. What really draws their eyes, though, are the two suits of power armor sitting off to the side. Lucinda smiles at the group. You've earned them, but I'd appreciate it if you didn't wear them to go upstairs. I don't know that the stairs can handle the weight anymore. But she does reassure them that they'll still be here when they go to leave. If they ask, she doesn't have an update on Victor other than to report he's stable. Now, there's always the possibility that the group will want to take the power armor and head for their base of operations. Lucinda will nod and let them go if that's their decision, but she'll tell them she's not going to risk any of their people to get them a message. So they'll either need to stay here or return as soon as they get some rest. Now, I'm pretty confident my group's going to stay here, but it's also obvious a group might decide to not do that for reasons. She takes them to the stairs and almost halfway around the walkway before she opens another door at the rear of the building. Inside, they can count about 50 bunks are set up, but about a dozen of them have obviously never been used. She points those out to the group and notes that it might get a bit crowded in here later, but for the next little while, the room is yours. After handling any questions they might have, as well as ordering food to be brought to them if they request, she takes her leave to continue managing operations for Mr. Lee. This will bring the group to the point for the first time in a bit that they've actually had the ability to talk things through. They're probably going to start working through everything they know to this point, and while the Denman-Garson connection is an obvious one, they will be confused about how the Brotherhood fits into all of this. Now, obviously they got played, and it's also obvious they're connected to Denman, but how they're connected isn't certain. They might even go down the rabbit hole of wondering whether or not those four are actually members of the Brotherhood. And there's the whole thing about not being able to find Mackenzie Cook. Again, the group might decide to lump her in with the Brotherhood of Steel members, though they might also be curious about what happened to her. We're hoping that they go with the thought that the BOS or someone else got to her and took her, but we also can't control what conclusion they're going to come to. Now, for the moment, it doesn't matter, so just keep track of where they're going with this so you know for later on. After a couple of hours, they'll either be woken up by a Mr. Handy or met by a Mr. Handy while they're still awake. 
painted to look like a medical professional of some sort, it should be apparent it's one of those who's been involved with Victor's treatment. He's matter of fact when he speaks. Mr. Victor has woken up and he wants to see you. Please follow me. He leads the group back down to the entrance area, and instead of heading toward Mr. Lee's office, he takes them the other direction to a small but well-appointed medical bay. Victor's laid out on the table with a number of wires and tubes coming out of him. He's awake and alert, but it's also obvious that the bullet he took did some serious damage, and he appears to be weaker than they'd ever seen him. He takes a moment to take them all in, then he says to them in a very matter-of-fact tone, We've got a major problem and we need to find Mackenzie Cook before the Brotherhood of Steel does. And we're going to end today's build on that note since I like a good cliffhanger. And yes, I realize I'm going really short again, and I promised I wasn't going to do that. But if you run the various combats that are in this episode, it's going to take you a heck of a lot longer than if we just done dialogue and movement. So I feel a little bit better about doing that. Next week, we're going to pick up right here and send the group on yet another rescue mission. In the meanwhile, check out our other podcast, Role-Playing History. This week, we cover the Dragonlance line of modules for AD&D, and there's a lot of modules in that line. It'll be a nostalgia trip for those old-school gamers out there, and for your new schoolers, there's a lesson to be learned about story building for adventures. Role-Playing History is available wherever you get your podcasts or on our website, badgmproductions.net. All Fallout role-playing game materials utilized on this show are the trademarked and copyrighted properties of Modifius Entertainment through their license with Bethesda Games and are utilized on this show for entertainment purposes only. To check out all of the fine products produced by Modifius, head out to your local game shop or check out the Modifius Entertainment website, modiphius.net. The music we use for this show comes from pixabay.com. Check them out for all your license-free, royalty-free music needs. Bad GM's Campaign Build-Along is a production of Bad GM Productions. We are all over social media, so check out the info box for this episode or check out our website, badgmproductions.net, to find out how to reach us. Next week, the group finds themselves on another rescue mission, and what they learn there will change the nature of our campaign permanently. That's next week, though. Until then, I'm the Bad GM, Wayne Davis, and I'll see you at the game table.